The cream rises to the top. If you build it, they will come. Content is king, and so on. We've heard all the cliches, but the problem is they are totally wrong. Even the best idea, product or project will fall flat if it isn't communicated effectively. On the Figures or Speech podcasts, hosts Tammy Palazzo and Tim Wickstrom talk to a wide range of amazingly successful executives, business owners, and leaders about how learning to communicate changed their lives and their fortunes. Every episode gives us stories we can emulate and lessons we can follow. Thank you so much, Michael, for being here today. We're really excited to talk to you about your business and what you've been up to. So just to get us started and for our listeners to get a little bit more background on you, tell us a little bit about your business and what you've been up to. Sure, sure. So basically, I usually give people a little bit of uh, background because it helps them understand why I do what I do, right? So I started as a high school English teacher, and I went from being a high school English teacher to a Broadway producer in under two years. Wow. So That's a transition. Okay, that's a first, for sure. We've <laughs> never heard that story before. So um, a number of people were very curious as to how And I was getting my master's in educational theater at the time. And one of the things that I had learned was that one of the best ways to learn material was through simulation. So what I started to do was I started to host workshops where I would simulate networking experiences. So I'd actually have people act out one-on-one meetings, job interviews, and cocktail parties in safe environments where they could basically test uh, different archetypes. And when they started to do this, I started to notice a lot of patterns in just how we interact and, and how we think about asking and giving and connecting. And it led to me coming up with some frameworks. And I started teaching those frameworks mainly to artists and all of my artist friends were doing really well and they were doing much better in their careers. So people in the business world started reaching out to me and saying, hey, can you do some of this work with us? So I ended up starting a business really focusing on helping people with that relationship building side of things. And because I was spending so much time with so many people from so many different walks of life, I became known as a connector amongst a lot of the people in my audience. And what I learned was that they're really wasn't anywhere people were going to bring connectors together the connectors were always sort of just like these like outside kind of people they're the ones that are making all the introductions but there's no discussion about like well what is best practice so back in 2012 I reached out to a number of my friends and I said hey if I put together a conference about this idea how many of you would be interested? And they all just kind of came back and said, yes. So I started ConnectorCon in 2012. That led to a number of people wanting to learn more about this whole connecting process. Uh, so I started doing more of my work uh, in the relationship building space, coaching, consulting, as well as helping people with the idea of going from being a thoughtful giver to a thought leader. So how do you go from being the person who loves to help and support everybody else to actually taking the time to think about who you are and what you want to put out into the world and get more comfortable with asking for what you want. And that's the Reader's Digest version. I've been a published playwright. I've worked on a lot of other uh, types of Oh my God. But that's like the 30,000 foot view if you want. That's awesome. And (laughs) Tim's head is exploding right now. I just want you to know. I can't tell you. You've already in two seconds basically given so much to work with in a conversation. (laughs) This is going to be amazing. 
Yeah, I think you're his hero, by the way. <laughs> very, very much so. Well, I'm going to just take that and jump off into it and tell you why. Sure, I, sure. I'm sort of giddy over this. When I hear you open up and talk about, you know, it's one thing to, the, your how, the one thing to know I need to be able to connect, but the philosophy behind giving people a platform to create structure around connecting and what we commonly hear when it comes to communication skills is very similar. How do I perfect that repetitiveness, that construct so that I can manage that and I can manage it in any situation, right? What you're doing in a connecting world and networking world translates across the plane. And it's very similar to what we're doing. So I'm excited to dive a little more deeper into how you use the approach that you do to equate that to the outcomes in their real life. Sure, sure. What are some of the best practices that you've come up with? Like if you had to give like, you know, three to five tips of these are the main things people should be thinking about when connecting, what might they be? For free, thank you very much. Well, no, yeah. no charge for these. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. <laughs> so the interesting thing about a question like that is that it it can go in a lot of different it can go in a lot of different directions. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go off of the things that I hear people discuss the most. Like anytime that I'm talking to somebody, the the things that they kind of perk up at. So the very first, which is something that I feel most of us forget about, is the idea of if you want to be a very effective connector, if you want to be a thoughtful giver, uh, you have to engage in active listening. And in the theater world, one of the problems that most performers struggle with at the very beginning of their career is that they are waiting for their next line. So they're actually not listening to the other individual. They're just kind of waiting for what do I need to say next? And what happens in many networking contexts, because there's been so much bad networking advice out there about the idea that reciprocity is basically the, the only thing, right? So like if I do business, if I give business to you, you'll give business to me. And that's how this is going to work, that people sit down in networking scenarios and they don't actually listen to the other individual. They're sitting there trying to figure out, well, what is my pitch and how am I going to tell them about myself and, you know, what can I listen for and what can I offer them so that like we can make this whole transactional thing happen. So the active listening piece is something that is just so forgotten about and it's the most valuable aspect. And I remember one time having a conversation with a client where we were talking about a deal that just didn't happen. And I said, okay, just so play back for me kind of how it went. And they said, well, you know, person came in and they were really kind of flustered because they had to drop their daughter off at soccer practice. And, you know, they sat down and I just opened up my presentation and I just like got started. And I said, that was the problem. You uh, didn't listen at epic all fail. to that opening scenario, which basically shows that you are listening, you're paying attention, you're compassionate. I mean, it's so rare when there's a moment of disappointment, when somebody's late, when somebody doesn't show up at the you know time that we want, when there's technical difficulties. It's so rare 
that people take the time to acknowledge and say like, how, what can I do to help solve this particular issue? And that was the issue. They, they went right into the sale. They went right into the presentation as opposed to being like, let me listen, let me hear what's going on and use that as the context for the conversation. Because if you don't know the energy somebody is coming into a room with, you don't know how you're supposed to approach them yeah. and how you're supposed to think about it. Yeah. I love that. That's huge. That's huge. We do a lot of the same, obviously, right? So in communication skills, one facet that we delve into much like you is active listening and how important that is across all spectrums. One of the things you started off with is that acknowledgement. We hear it all the time when we'll ask people to role play a networking event and how they connect with others. And for us, what we tend to focus on, you know, there's the content side of it, but how you make the connection. Mm. What does acknowledgement mean? And oftentimes we hear very similar things. Did I hear what they said, but what they respond with is what they want to share with them versus the full acknowledgement of, you know, acknowledgement isn't just understanding what they said, but being able to sort of rephrase back to them what they heard, confirming that, but they miss one key element, how they use their physical skills to connect with that person. For example, we use this example all the time. If you're at a networking event and someone is talking to you or you're talking to somebody and they're looking somewhere else, they're not making yes. eye contact, how does that make you feel? And so imagine what it's like for that person who you're trying to connect with and you're not making eye contact, your body language isn't open and welcoming and showing that you have interest at all. Even though you do, it's that lack of awareness that you've got two playing fields to be on here and they go right into their spiel. Let me tell you about my product. Let me tell you about what I do. And it has nothing to do with the context that they're referring to. Do you see some of that same physical challenge when you're talking to groups about how they make stronger connections, how they manage their body language and those elements? Yeah, definitely. There's actually a lot specifically with large scale and group events that I, that I notice. And one thing is a little trick that I think a lot of people don't do, but is so, so powerful in terms of just like having somebody remember you. And I call it the bookmark technique. Oh. And basically, let's say we're talking at an event and we're in an engaged conversation and you say to me, Michael, you know, I have a question for you. And just as you finish saying, I have a question for you, somebody comes running in who sees me, who I haven't seen in forever. And they say, hey, how are you? And I turn to them and I say hello. And then I bring them into the conversation and we're all talking. But what happened? I didn't answer your question. Right. Now, the thing is, the rest of the evening, could go on and you could never actually have your question answered. So what would just completely blow you away is if an hour later, after we've departed, after we've all sort of like gone our different directions, I see you at the bar and I come up and I say, hey, Tim, you know, a couple of, you know, a little bit ago, you had said that you had a question for me. And then that, you know, uh, that person came in and everything got kind of, you know, crazy. I'd love to hear what that question was. Yeah. And it's just, that is such a simple thing, but we are, when we're in large scale social environments, we are going to be interrupted. So us taking the time to say, okay, I was interrupted. Let me bookmark that 
yeah. and make sure that I go back to that individual, it shows a level of care that most people don't. And it just like, really changes that dynamic. My husband has a great story about this. This exact thing happened to him in a, in a different situation. He's a huge fan of Bobby Flay. And mm. he was in Bobby Flay's, one of Bobby Flay's restaurant, Bar American, which has since closed. And he's sitting at the bar having lunch or something. And he finds out that Bobby Flay is going to be at the restaurant. So my husband is completely beside himself over this. <laughs> and he, the, he, my husband knew the bartender fairly well, which is a whole other story. In itself. But <laughs> in any event, he, the bartender says, hey, Bobby's here. I'm going to introduce you to him. And my husband's just like, oh, my God. Total Geeking fangirl out. moment. Like, just so excited. So Bobby, he, somehow or another, he connects with Bobby. And Bobby's sort of in the middle of something. And, you know, hey, Dan, nice to meet you, blah, 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 and gets distracted. Well, my husband's sitting at the bar eating his lunch. And like an hour later, Bobby Flay, oh, no, my husband says to him, hey, there are like 10 questions I have if I had time to talk to you, right? So anyway, Bobby gets distracted, goes away, comes back like an hour later, sits down next to my husband and says, okay, so what are those 10 questions? My husband nearly lost his lunch like he was so excited (laughs) over the whole thing because he's like i can't believe that he remembered to come back to me and no matter what it left such an impact on him that he did that and he didn't have to do that because he's bobby flight it's his restaurant yeah it's a great it's a great technique and i agree it's very very impactful what are some of the other tips that you you recommend for people to effectively connect so If you're at a social gathering, I think one of the most important things that you can do is be aware of who's around you when you're talking. Because a lot of the time what will happen is you'll get into a one-to-one conversation with somebody and there will be people hovering on the outside. And in many cases, there's this temptation to be like, I'm I'm still in this conversation. I want to stay in this conversation. I don't want to be rude to this person. But then in essence, you're treating the other person, I I like to refer to it as you're Bruce Willising them. You know, if uh, we think about like Sixth Sense, right? It's I call like them French <laughs> listeners. I call them French listeners, but I like Bruce Willisingham. Um. <laughs> so, so the thing is, you know, you're doing this, and this person's sort of standing on the outside. So, what I often recommend is, if you notice that people are starting to kind of come from the out, even if it's just one individual, basically think about it as you're now telling a story around the campfire as opposed to one to one. So you bring that third person in and yes, maybe somebody else will come along. If you notice somebody on the outside, bring them into the conversation because that aspect of keeping people out is it's hard for them, but it's also going to distract the hell out of you. Like you're going to be sitting there being like, ah, who's that person on the side? It's like, just bring them in. Aren't you, in essence, making connections by doing that? Oh, totally. Because now you've brought yeah. this other person, this other person, and now they get to meet each other. Exactly. Well, I, like to, I like to get really tactical on the skill side of that because I think yeah. that that's... Eye contact. A, <laughs> it's a tangible piece, right? You're in your peripheral vision. You see this building, and it's almost like someone who is not so confident giving a presentation in front of a group of people. So they're better in a one-on-one, but you start to feel the intimidation of multiple sets of eyes now converging on you. And I myself can get a little overwhelmed of, oh, this is great. Everybody wants to jump in. Now it's a little awkward. Tactically, Tactically, what tips do you give them to 
pause, how do you get them to bring them in without losing the person that's there as well? Because sometimes they can feel like, oh, well, we were in a good groove. Sure. Now that flow is interrupted. What are some of the tactics you use to help them maintain and expand? Sure. So uh, it definitely goes back to what I was talking about with the active listening, right? So a lot of the time, you know, you're listening to that individual, somebody comes along, you just, you turn to them, you say, hey, why don't you come into, why don't you come into the circle? You know, or hey, why don't you come? And the thing is, if you're making that invite, the other individual is like, oh, okay, this is, this is what we're doing now. Now, because you've been listening, you're able to say, oh, Tammy was just talking about a lot of the challenges that are in place whenever you try to go to the bar at this venue, <laughs> right? A brief, a brief recap. Yeah. Are you experiencing that? And then like they start that conversation as well. And the other aspect is if you're in an environment, and this is really helpful if you know a lot of the people to basically have those little cues of, okay, this person's coming. I know for a fact that this person works in tech and that this person is in VC. So you can even say, oh, you know, you guys should definitely talk because he's in the midst of creating one of the most interesting AI softwares. And she has been focusing on that for her firm, you know, and you just sort of like, and you just open the conversation with the idea of, I think it would be interesting for you guys to talk to each other about these types of things. Hey, Michael, I am a classic ambivert, right? So I'm completely introverted in the way that I, it's my preferential style is to be introverted, but I have to be extroverted because of my job and my life and the things that I do. But my natural tendency is to be introverted and lots of people really struggle with networking. And that's one of the things that we often hear is that I don't love networking because I really don't like striking up conversations with people. What recommendations do you have for people who are kind of like me? Because I hate networking. I hate sure. it. I hate it and I love it because I love to meet people. I just hate having to do it. What do you recommend for someone who doesn't have a natural tendency to want to talk to people? Sure. So there's two things. The first comes from my education background. And in the education world, there's the idea of high focus and low focus activity. So a high focus activity, I'm putting a student up in front of the entire class and I'm saying, do your presentation. A low focus activity, I'm putting the students in groups of maybe four or five, and I'm saying, do your presentation for the three other people in your group or the four other people in your group. So if you are one of those people who has very, very strong introvert tendencies, you don't want to start with a high focus activity like going to an event of 300 people or going to a large cocktail gathering. You want to start with a small event. And what that will do is that will change your comfort level and eventually it will be easier for you to go to a larger event because you're not starting with high focus, you're starting with low focus. So that's one piece that I find can be really effective. And that can just be something as simple as you meet a couple of people or you've just been introduced to a number of people and you say, hey, I'm gonna get a bunch of us together for drinks or I'm gonna get a bunch of us together to go for breakfast or go for lunch or something, something along those lines. And then you're the one 
in control of the environment. The very interesting thing as an introvert is if you become the host, you can no longer hide. Yes. yes. If you're on an event, yeah. you can hide in the bathroom. You can hide behind the bar. Like you can hide if you're at a large scale event that you're not hosting. But if you're hosting, you have no choice but to be out there and to be part of that, be part of that environment. So that can be really, really useful and really, really effective. The other thing that I often will recommend is this idea of imagine these events as an ocean. And in essence, there are archetypes within this ocean. And your first archetype is the shark. And the shark is the person who's eyes are dotting around like Tim was talking about jamming business cards in everybody's hand, trying to like move through the room, you know, just like seriously, like I'm here to, I'm here to network, right? You're looking for blood. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I love this so much. We, I've done something similar, more of like an African safari where I love this. So we're very well aligned. We've identified meerkats who stand up and they look around to see who's there. You've got the lions who come into the room and I want everybody to give me their attention and they're big and boisterous and they their behaviors match the descriptions, the flamingos that are just so flamboyant about everything <laughs> that they do. I think it's a very interesting way to be able to get the point across that yeah. we, we all show up differently, but there's a process we go through to sort of match that style a little bit to be comfortable. So it's one thing to know what your style is, but you know, when you're trying to make a connection with somebody, it's building that connection and we have nothing to connect on other than how we show up, in, yeah. at least initially. I want to hear the other archetypes, Tim. <laughs> I'm, I'm not done. I'm, I'm like taking furious notes. I want to hear the rest. So then you have the dolphins. And the dolphins are the people who cluster together because they've come to that event to basically, in, in many cases, be with their friends. Um, And they don't really want anybody else in their circle. So they cluster, they keep people out of the circle and they, and, and basically they just sort of like only hang out with each other. Okay. And then you have those who are drowning and those are the people who are in the corner getting attacked by a shark or they're standing outside of a cluster of dolphins or they're just kind of standing by themselves, feeling miserable, et cetera. Do you have a stingray? I'm scared of stingray. <laughs> <laughs> Do not have a stingray. But the, uh, the, the last archetype is the lifeguard. And the lifeguard basically looks around for the people who are feeling uncomfortable and goes up to them and has a conversation. So what I often tell anybody who's experiencing any kind of high level of anxiety at a large scale event is be a lifeguard. Because all you have to do is look for people who are feeling uncomfortable and go up and say hello. And what's also very, very interesting about this particular dynamic is that many times people who are very influential don't necessarily make it a point to make themselves the center of attention. So very often the person who has basically made the decision to be in the corner or made the decision to just sort of like step away from the big social environment can sometimes be the most influential person in the room. And a lot of the time we forget that. A lot of the time we think it's the person in the center. And in many, many cases, it ends up being the person at the edges. That's a really interesting tip. And uh, I think it aligns with this idea that we talk about in sales 
which is when you're in a sales meeting, we typically put all of our attention towards the person who we believe is the decision maker. Maybe the person with the most senior title or the person who's you know making all the noise. And you don't know that the person who's sitting in the corner quietly is really the most influential yeah. person in the room and is the one you have to really get to your point of view and, and to make sure that they're buying into it because they're going to drive that big decision maker's decision making. Yes, exactly. I want to finish one little piece about this in terms of networking, and then I want yeah. to shift over to ConnectorCon, and, sure. and let's talk a little about that. But just from a litmus test perspective, I know when we talk about networking and the power of it, really what we try to figure out is what's the litmus test for success? How do you know you've done it well? Mm -hmm. So it's one thing how to do it, but then how do I measure it? And oftentimes, we'll look at a couple of things. Did you... When you're connecting with somebody at an event, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or multiple people, did you create an environment where they were finding more information about you versus you telling them? So part of that conversation growing to the point of how much did you share about yourself and how much did they draw out? And we'll often ask people, well, how do you measure success? And they say, well, I gave out 50 cards. Mm. And what I'll ask them is how many cards were asked of you? Yeah. So there's a much different experience when somebody can walk away and say, I had 30 people ask for my card versus, hey, let me give you my card. That doesn't necessarily denote success. I can hand out cards all day long. But when you genuinely have a connection and, and interaction and they're asking you for more information or a card, it's authentic. And you know that you have shared it in a way that they're interested. Yeah. I want to translate that over to ConnectorCon. So you've sure. created this amazing event about the generosity and giving opportunity versus the scarcity. Tell us a little bit about ConnectorCon and how you go about choosing people to be panelists at ConnectorCon or speakers. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So the very first thing I'll say is that I started the conference because I went to a bad one. And one Just of, one? Yeah, right? <laughs> and one of the core issues that came up with that bad experience was the aspect of a name tag and a judgment system attached to the name tag. So if I see that you are in sales on your name tag, I make a decision by looking at your name tag as to whether or not you're important or not. And then I kind of walk away, right? It's that, it's that dynamic that, that kind of exists. And the conference that I was at I was in a position where I was doing uh, business development for an educational technology company and anybody saw business development on my, on my name tag basically would just sort of like ignore me or <laughs> be rude to me, et cetera. So I realized that there is this aspect of name tags as judgment centers so what I did was I got rid of that dynamic. So the way that the conference worked was people would apply to be part of the conference and at, in their application, they would say what it is that they would need help with. We would know what it is that they do. They would say on their application what they did, but when they got a name tag, the name tag was who they were and what they needed. Oh. No, there was no, like you couldn't know if you were talking to a billionaire 
or somebody who uh, was just getting started in their business or somebody who was even a volunteer. Like you had no idea. Fascinating. And the idea there was to basically get rid of this aspect of hierarchy because most social environments seek out some way of creating hierarchy. And in many cases, one major part of conferences creating the sense of hierarchy is I am sitting on a panel, so I sit up here, and when I finish speaking, I get to run out the door, or I get to stand in the corner, and there's going to be a line of people for me, and I get to, you know, move very quickly out of the room. So what I did was I told every person who was actually going to be on a panel or doing a workshop, I said, I am inviting you to spend the day with us. And obviously, if it's something where you just absolutely can't, I totally understand. But one major factor of this is I want everybody to feel like they're all on the same page and they are all on the same level. I do not want anybody to feel like anybody else in the room is more important. And a big part of the conference model was this idea of creating a safe space for people to have these conversations because when we know somebody is at a certain level, especially if it's tied to something that we need or that we're looking for, we tend to be much, much more, I guess you could say just like, I don't want to say dumb, but like we tend to be really bad about presenting ourselves or giving our information because we have what I like to refer to as asking blinders. Anytime we're in a high state of need and we meet somebody who has that thing that we need, all of our social graces and skills in many cases just kind of go out the window. Right. So the idea was get rid of that, get rid of that aspect of hierarchy, make the playing field even, and then everybody can talk to each other and they can connect on more levels than just the professional on more things than just like, what do you do and what can you do for me? It was more about sharing ideas. It was more about sharing resources, contacts, helping each other grow together. Because one of the main concepts of the conference was this idea of, I have a very firm belief that there is no competition. There is only specialization. And people gravitate towards us because we specialize. No matter what business we're in, even if 10 people are doing the exact same thing or teaching the exact same thing, they don't teach it the same way that I do. They don't teach it the same way that the other individual does. So the idea is you bring people together under this, this concept, and then it isn't about who's the most famous or who's the most popular, which a lot of these events can be popularity contests. It's about how do we share information and how do we help each other? I love that. That is so cool. Have you heard of House of Genius? Yes. Oh my God, I was just looking that up thinking the same thing. Yeah, we, I've been to a couple of House of Genius events and in fact had the opportunity to pitch mm our business and share a problem at one event. And the whole model behind it, for those listening who don't know about House of Genius, is this great model where you've got about 15 people in a room and nobody knows anything but everybody's first name. And you have two people who get up and present a business problem. 
And the group has a very structured format for how they delve deeper into the problem and then ultimately try to make recommendations on how to solve the problem. But you have no idea the frame of reference that anybody has so that it's none of the, the feedback or the ideas that they're giving you are clouded by, in my experience, I've done this, I'm mm-hmm. a subject matter expert on that. As a panelist, it was really hard to purify myself, right? Mm. And to to get away from this idea of, well, I know this and I'm an expert at this. And in fact, one of the one of the companies that presented when I was a panelist or a part of the, the panel was it was a it was they did some type of training or consulting. And I'm like, oh my God, I, I know, I know exactly what they need. And it would it took every ounce of energy I had on the flip side, when we presented, it was so interesting when at the end, everybody reveals who they are and what their background is and where they work and all of that. And you're like, oh, that was really interesting feedback you gave. Huh, surprising. I wouldn't have expected that from you. Or, oh my gosh, that makes complete sense. I think it, it really does change that whole experience because I feel the same way. We, we recently were do, we did a big training, uh, learning conference. And as people are walking by, you're looking at their badge like, oh, should I waste my time talking to them? And you know, we had a booth there and we would just be like, oh, nope, not worth our time. And you just don't know. Yeah. You just don't know about any of that. When you do your conference, you obviously have panelists. Like, what do you look for? And let's think about it in the context of how well they communicate, right? Sure. What are you looking for from a panelist, aside from obviously that they bring value or have some level of expertise? Like, what, what do you like to see? Sure. So one major thing is the first year I just programmed from colleagues and friends and people that I that I had already knew that I was like, you have interesting stuff, right? And then as, as things kind of move forward, I would do these calls. For, call for proposals. And one of the things that I would always look for is, are you coming up with your own way of exploring the problem? So do you have your own language attached to what it is that you're doing? Or does it sound like everything else? And I have this whole concept that I, I refer to as the container versus the contents. There are tons of container words out there, like leadership, strategy, win-win, like there's tons of container words out there that everybody uses. But once you open up those containers, there's a lot of words that are the contents, right? So there's different types of ways of thinking about leadership. There's different types of ways of thinking about strategy without even using the word strategy. So I was always looking, whenever people would submit, if they had something to say about relationship building, connecting, networking, were they approaching it from a very, very different angle? So for for example, we had a former double agent who basically came in to do a whole thing on body language and how easy it is in some cases for people to buy into what we're saying, even if we don't know the context. So we had us do this exercise where we were talking back and forth with somebody and we had to convince the other person that we had seen a movie we hadn't seen. It was genius. It was, it was really, really amazing. So it's looking for things like that. It's saying like, okay, a lot of people are going to say, Oh, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to do a talk on networking. It's like, no, no, 
that's not a new container. Exactly. That's not a new container. Exactly. So, so like, what do you have to say about this? Where does this go? That's what I'm most interested in. I like that because I think you have to have a unique message, right? And that's what you're looking for. Are you bringing a fresh new perspective? And, and truth be told, from our perspective, what we focus less on is that, that container part, which makes sense, right? There, that's going to be your filter lens to say, how does this person fit within the concept of what I'm trying to do here? And I love that approach from what's your unique container. It's a good litmus test, I'm sure, and, and sort of a barrier to entry sometimes too. How important is how they deliver the message? So, you know, sometimes people can have the best container. They yeah. can have a really amazing message. And I'm wondering how you view that in your selection criteria, their ability to communicate their container message and if you can think of a couple that you've seen that are really awesome that you've had at ConnectorCon, who might they be? What, what examples can you share? So sure. how important is it and what are some examples? Yeah, so I think it's very, very important to figure out exactly how you're going to approach a particular topic and what you're going to do, what you're going to do with that topic. I think that there are a lot of people who say that they're doing a workshop and they're actually doing a lecture. Mm. And um, yeah. that for me is a very, very important thing. If you say that you're doing a workshop, that to me communicates that you are going to be doing something with that audience, with, with those people, and that those people are actually going to be doing some work. If you are just standing there talking and you're asking them to take notes, that is not a workshop. Yeah. That, Absolutely. You know, so the thing that I often will look at is what is the delivery method that they're going to use to teach this material and how are they structuring that? So if, for example, somebody tells me that they want to do something around goal setting and they decide that they're going to bring in a graphic recording artist so that while people are talking about their goals, that person is drawing those goals on the wall. Right. That to me is fascinating. That to me is interesting. That to me is something that is different, uh, that communicates what's going to happen and gives people something to, something to use, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's that uh, always that connection point there and and looking at that. Do you have some examples of some of those who have done that really well and what specifically did they do that you're like, "Oh my gosh, I'll never forget that." Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things where when you run the conference, you get to like pop in for things. You don't get to sit in on it, on everybody's things. So I'm trying to remember which people were kind of the most sort of the most popular in these different environments. I mean, they're definitely, there are some people who are, they're just masterful when it comes to the idea of facilitating a panel. I think that like I had a friend who is very, very well-versed in fundraising and made sure that the panel was not just about the panelists telling you how successful they were at fundraising, but actually digging into what were the details of how to do it and how they did it and breaking that information down. So I think that aspect, uh, that was one that really stood out, stood out to me. 
a lot of the things where people get active. I think that's another one that for me is a really interesting dynamic. So I, I come from an educational theater background. So I've had people do things where the beginning of the presentation would start with this aspect of, if you agree with this concept, stand on this side of the room. If you disagree with this concept, stand on this side of the room. If you're somewhere in the middle, stand at this part in the room. And then you change whatever the statement is. And then you kind of watch what people, you know, what people do and where they go. I've seen that used very, very effectively. Michael, all the things that you're talking about really are about what we teach people, which is this idea that it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. And the examples that you're giving are, you know, if we broke it down into what we look at, so when we think about delivery skills, we think about your body language and we think about your eye contact and how you use your voice or the difference between being a didactic presenter and somebody who is more of a facilitator of a workshop. It's all those skills that most people don't have language to put to that. And in fact, one of the reasons why we created our, uh, our product is to really begin to create a way for people to understand what it is that they're doing and what it is that they're doing well and what it is that they're not doing well and to, and to put language so that we can measure ourselves and we can understand it in others. Mm. What you just talked about from moving people from one side of the room and then trying to understand what that means and helping it to inform your teaching of a group is a very interactive learning style. Or, you know, talking about the guy who's teaching body language from the perspective of a double agent and how we can we can fake messages, right? Yeah. So when we teach people about for instance, how they use their body language. The idea always is, and I think this is probably true for you too, when you're dealing with networking, mm -hmm. is it doesn't matter how we feel. So going back to this idea of, I'm really insecure about this. I'm, a, I'm very introverted. I'm not at all comfortable coming into a room and wanting to talk to people. But nobody needs to know that. And there are ways in which I can, even though I'm dying on the inside, can fake it on the outside. I could have really open body language versus standing in a corner with my arms crossed and my body closed off and I'm not making eye contact with anybody. Sure. That is a and mumbling. Mumbling. Mumbling, yeah. right. <laughs> it's a dead giveaway to other people that you're really uncomfortable with this. But if I, and I know this is what I do to try to get around my own discomfort, is I will... I will try to move towards the dolphins. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely not a shark by any means. <laughs> Maybe a lifeguard every now and then, and I'm not sure that I totally drown, but I'm sure I have my days that I do. But what I'm trying to do is at least demonstrate some sort of openness so at least people are receptive to it. Sure. Tim and I have this great story that really defines, I think it it defines our reason for being as friends, as business oh, partners. Oh, yes. It's sort of, to me, it is the best articulation of what we do. <laughs> Tim and I met at, we worked together. We worked at a consulting company. We literally met my first day of work and we just instantly connected or so I thought. <laughs> years later, years later, and I'm like all like, oh my God, this is so awesome. I met my new best friend. This is great. And years later, we were, he was teaching a workshop and he was teaching rapport building. 
and talking about this idea of how you manufacture connection with people when you're building rapport. You match their body language. You may be, you know, you're nodding your head. You're doing things to try to connect with them. Even if you don't organically match up, you can manufacture the matchup. So after this thing is over and we're, we're driving back from the program, I'm just sitting in the car thinking, and I turned to him, I said, hey, by the way, just wondering, remember that very first day that we met and we're like, oh my God, I love you. You're so great, blah, blah, blah. I said, were you playing me? Were you just totally like faking rapport with me? He's like, maybe a little bit. <laughs> and I fell for it. And I think I'm way smarter than that, but I totally fell for it. So I think it's, I think all the things that you're talking about are so aligned with the things that we teach. We just teach it very structurally, right? You're sure. teaching it in this great way where you're making it a very, very practical thing. Like we're, we're basically putting them into boot camp, right? And yeah. saying, okay, you need to learn how to use your body, how to use your eyes. And you're saying, okay, let me give you the bigger concept around this of how you're doing it. So I love, I think it's such, I think it's such a great connection and it's nice to sort of see how those things really match up. Yeah. I think it shows up on podcasts too. This is a great example. Our our listeners, they can't see us, but their impression. I wonder what their impression would be. And I'm going to throw my hands up. I am 100% matching some of how you and anybody else shows up because you think about it this way. If you're I like to use this analogy. If we're walking down a sidewalk and someone's walking towards you and they have laser focused eye contact on you, their sort of body posture is really big and they take up, you know, space and not by size, but I mean, space, chest is out and arms and, you know, just as you would see it and I'm walking, I'm really trying to decide, do I stay on the sidewalk or do I run across the street? Sure. It's that fight or flight. And so I think what's great about what you do and also what we do is it's that connective tissue that that very first impression is largely focused on how comfortable we feel around you and the signals we use to generate our level of comfort are off what we see and how you sound before you can set the stage for you to share your container message, before you can even acknowledge in an active listening way that you're tracking appropriately. And I, I just think it takes the best of both worlds to make that happen. Yeah, I think you're dead on. I mean, I, I think, you know, one of the things that I always talk about is the aspect of sort of frameworks versus formulas. And, you know, when you want people to understand a large, a, a large concept, frameworks work really, really well. When there is something super, super specific you want them to do, especially if they're just beginning and they're just trying to kind of wrap their head around how to do something, you need, people crave a formula. People crave like, hey, show me how to do XYZ, especially at the very beginning of a process, because you got to learn something before you can start to think about those bigger ideas and those bigger, those bigger concepts. So, so true. All right. We should definitely switch gears now. So let's talk about you personally. Sure. One, of, one of the things <laughs> I've been using this analogy, and I'm not sure that everybody is, old, is as old as me, so uh, it might resonate with you. But once upon a time, when you'd go on a job interview or if you were at a networking event, people would say to you, what's on your nightstand? What books are on your nightstand? Mm. So I use that term very euphemistically because we don't all just read books anymore. And 
if you're like me, you hardly read books anymore and you do a lot of other things. You listen to things, you watch things. So for you, I have a couple of questions for sure. you. First, number one, tell me who some of your favorite speakers are, just in general, speakers that you think are awesome. Seth Godin. Ah, uh, yeah. I've seen him speak many a time, and he's just he's just always got such a nice sort of easy way about him in terms of sharing information. So I've always, always been a fan of his stuff. Uh, Dory Clark is also just a phenomenal speaker, and she's a good friend of mine as well. And it's just like... Every time I get to see her, it's she's always just like distilling down so much. When it whenever there's like a lot of information and you're like, how do I break this down? Dory's just able to like break it down super super sim simply, uh, which I really really love. And I think there's just a lot of great stuff. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else when I've seen them where I'm like, wow, that was really. That was really something. Uh, Vanessa Van Edwards is another one who uh, has just a lot of fascinating insights around how we interact with people. She, she has a whole like business around the science of people. I've seen her speak and I really enjoyed her, her material as well. What's the last TED Talk you saw that really moved you? Ooh, the Tim Urban procrastination talk. I love that. I just think like that is. I should watch that one. Or, <laughs> oh, man. It's one, one of the best because you laugh all the way through and then it punches you in the gut at the end of it. <laughs> and, and like that, you know, in, in entertainment, if you really want people to feel something, you create a high level of contrast. You get the audience to laugh really, really hard if you want them to cry. Right. And, totally. and he just, he just like masters that with that particular talk. It's a beautiful talk. That's great. Okay. Aside from our amazing podcast, what's your favorite podcast? <laughs> uh, so Jordan Harbinger, the Jordan Harbinger show. Okay. Jordan is a phenomenal interviewer. He just, he digs into people's stuff. He's really, really great about the questions that he asks and the things that he puts out there. And then Seth Godin's new one, Akimbo, is a lot of just, again, really, really solid, uh, solid things. What else have I, the unmistakable creative, Srini Rao, his guests are just always fascinating and he is really good at digging in when it comes to conversation. It's, you never feel like it's a, oh, well, this is a paint by number kind of question and answer, uh, which a lot of podcasts end up falling into. Yep. That's something I really, really love about his show is that it's just very like, he's always just having this conversation. He's, he's, he's being led by his curiosity, which I think is one of the major points of, of having a good show. Love, love, love. Okay, last one is, what's the last book you read and or listened to? I read multiples at a time. So, like, I actually toggle. Okay, anything stand out to you? So, I mean, actually, Vanessa's book stood out to me, Captivate. Okay. It basically breaks down just all of the things that we do that cause people to either be interested in us and wanting and want to talk to us or afraid of us or concerned like a lot of stuff around body language a lot of stuff around like the way our faces contort when people say certain things it's just a a lot of really really cool stuff in that book 
I'll need to check that one out. Admittedly, this is so selfishly for me because this is how I fill up my Kindle and my Audible and my podcast. But we always hope that our listeners are getting great tips from our guests because they all have such a broad array of topics to or items to share with us. So that's really helpful. Hey, listen, Michael, we are out of time, but this was awesome. We absolutely loved meeting you. We're totally kindred spirits and it's always exciting. To meet new people, I feel like we have lived out your purpose in life right here and now. To have, I want to check out ConnectorCon and yeah. definitely want to stay engaged. That sounds like amazing. Thank yeah. you. This was great. We learned a lot, and I hope we can help each other down the road. This was really fantastic. Thanks for your time today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. We always hope we left you better than we found you. <laughs> so thank you for taking the time to be on with us. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you.